Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Redestine tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. One of the things the NFL has been doing that's uh, interesting is getting more and more comfortable with the idea of sports gambling and being connected to the city of Las Vegas. And this is a uh, this is something that's worth paying attention to a lot because I think it's going to be a seismic change in the world of sports. And if you think about it, there are three really big ones that I would say have been monumental in some way in changing the way we consume sports. Uh, The first, obviously, in the last, I would say, 40 years or so was cable. Getting cable and putting virtually every game out there so that everybody can watch. That was number one, the biggest outcome. The second, I would say, is the rise of fantasy sports so that that's one reason why, why the NFL in particular just took off was because of all the people who suddenly care in a big way about not just their favorite team in the NFL or the local regional team they may watch, but tons of other uh, teams as well. And then the third one, I think, is going to be sports gambling because it's been proven that the more you gamble, the more you actually end up watching sports in general. Uh, if the over-unders on, uh, in, in, in question, if there's a... Uh, if there's an issue with whether or not a team's going to cover or uh, any individual prop, all of those things become monumental in terms of the amount of coverage that's going to go and uh, and how much guys and girls love watching the sport. Well, the Oakland Raiders, uh, soon to be Oakland Raiders, which is going to be uh, soon to be Vegas Raiders moving from Oakland. It's going to take forever. It's going to be like the Chargers 
uh, or the Rams, where those of us who've talked about teams from St. Louis and San Diego for a long time are going to be calling the Vegas Raiders, the Oakland Raiders for some time. They're going to officially be moving to Vegas now. Uh, and so that is going to lead to a large embrace of gambling by the league. But also, the NFL put out the uh, renderings for their uh, their uh, draft, which will be taking place in April, and it looks phenomenal. I mean, this is going to be riveting, must-see television, not even because of all the different draft picks, uh, in particular the quarterback positions. What's going to happen with Tua? Is Joe Burrow going to go number one overall? There's some interesting comments out there about whether the Bengals might be interested in giving up uh, the right to draft Joe Burrow. Maybe, maybe it's possible the Carolina Panthers could make a big run at the uh, number one overall pick, given that they have gone and gotten Joe Brady, brought in Matt Rule, and uh, they've got a seven-year deal there to remake that roster. Maybe it's possible that uh, that they could fall in love with Joe Burrow and give up a lot of assets in order to be able to go get him. Uh, but regardless of that, they if you're familiar with Vegas at all, they're going to shut down the strip. They are going to use the fountains at Bellagio as a introduction point for all the draft picks where they will be taking boats to the main stage. Uh, it's going to be a phenomenal show. And I got to give the NFL credit here because whether it was Nashville, Chicago, Philadelphia, Dallas, over the past several years, the decision to take the draft on the road has been absolutely brilliant. 600,000 people showed up for the draft at some point over the last year in the NFL draft in Nashville. I would think the number of people who will show up just given the sheer number of visitors that will be out in Las Vegas will be off the charts and that it will be an incredible scene. Now, I'd say the one thing you have to be a little bit nervous about is when you're in Vegas, there's always the possibility, especially if there are 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids there, that some of them could get in trouble, right? I mean, that would not be a huge surprise if you had a draft pick given the controversies we've had surrounding draft picks over the last several years, uh, including Laramie Tunsil, which seemed like it was stripped straight out of a, a television script with uh, with him putting the gas mask on and smoking weed uh, moments before the draft was set to begin, and then admitting that he had been paid while he was at Ole Miss in the post-draft uh, interview. All of that was crazy, and so there's always sometimes uh, the wild drama that you can't anticipate so putting that out in Las Vegas could be a little bit of a risk factor given uh, all the things you can get into the night before the draft of all places in Vegas. But it looked like it was going to be absolutely phenomenal. Let me go ahead and bring in Eddie Garcia. I'll get the update. But Eddie, this looks like, I mean, I'll watch the draft, especially on Thursday and to a lesser extent on Friday. But this looks like must-see television the way the NFL is putting on a hell of a show with all the renderings they put out. Well, and as you well know, Nashville set a pretty high bar, yeah. and I think everyone was blown away. But uh, with all due respect to Nashville, I, I I just can't believe that this isn't going to be bigger in every way. And that's not really fair to Nashville. It's Vegas. But I, 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 I mean, had, they're shutting down the strip. Exactly. And I had two thoughts when I heard about this. Number one, this sounds like a uh, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime 
something to attend. And on, on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be anywhere near it because I think it's right. going to be insane. But but the bottom line is it's it's a huge uh, talking point right now for the NFL, and, and they win again. Yeah, and I would think that the number of draft picks, I mean, a lot of them have never been to Vegas before because it's, you know, first of all, most people don't go to Vegas till they're over 18. I know some people take their kids, but it's relatively rare. Uh, and it's also not a place that unless you're in, let's say, Los Angeles, if you're on the East Coast, I mean, that's a major trip to get out to Vegas. So I would think the number of draft picks that would want to go have to be increasing as they're doing more and more uh, to make this an event and a big show. And uh, I wonder, you know, the NBA draft used to really be a lot more entertaining than the NFL draft, uh, for many people anyway. And the NFL draft is obviously so much longer than the NBA draft, where only 60 guys get drafted in the NBA. You've got whatever it is, 250 plus who are getting drafted in the NFL. I kind of wonder whether they're going to get to the point where they start to invite almost all of the draftees and uh, and you have a never-ending green room. Uh, but for right now, this is going to be pretty awesome to see. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. The Major League Baseball Hall of Fame voting came out uh, yesterday, and we had two more members of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Derek Jeter gets in with 99.7% of the vote. I mean, that is as close uh, to perfection just about as you can possibly get. I think one voter did not make him a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, and we remain the case, I believe, that Mariano Rivera is the only first ballot 100 percenter. Uh, and Larry Walker gets in uh, and he's gone from 20 near just shy of 22 percent of the ballots in 2017 to getting over barely the 75 percent threshold uh, and uh, and getting in. He didn't expect to get in. And so uh, what is intriguing as you work through the uh, the, the nominees is. Uh, first of all, Kurt Schilling did not get in. He's now in his eighth year on the ballot. He got up to 70% of the vote. And uh, it looks like he's probably going to get in in the next couple of years. What's crazy is that Kurt Schilling is 100% not getting in because of politics as opposed to whether or not he's justified in getting in the Hall of Fame, and I don't know why baseball does this, but baseball's morality angles on the Hall of Fame really are kind of infuriating. So Kurt Schilling, because of his politics, is not yet in the Hall of Fame, and I think that's embarrassing to the baseball writers because it shows that the baseball writers would reward people for their political leanings or suspend them uh, and penalize them for their political leanings if they disagree with it. I think that's just a really bad look. And so that continues. The other one is in the eighth year, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they're really not moving very much. And so uh, we already know that Mark McGuire did not make it. And uh, it looks like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are not going to make it. And here's what I would say about both of those guys. They have to make it. And I understand you're upset that they use performance-enhancing drugs, but this is an easy test because if Barry Bonds and if Roger Clemens had never used steroids, they were good enough in the pre-steroids era to be Major League Baseball Hall of Famer. So if you want to put them into the Baseball Hall of Fame, 
and then put an asterisk beside them or give a uh, discussion about the steroids era in general. This is not necessarily a Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire-like situation where it's almost impossible to figure out what their overall talent would be if there had never been a steroids era. Bonds was a Hall of Famer long before the steroids era ever arose, and the same thing was true of Roger Clemens. Now, they prolonged, extended, and uh, incredibly increased their overall statistical output because of the steroids era, but it's not particularly challenging to see them as Hall of Famers in general. So this is one that seems relatively easy to me if you are a Baseball Hall of Fame writer. Leave aside the morality of the steroids era, at least as it pertains to these two. Go ahead and put them in the Hall of Fame and then contextualize their careers within the context of a pre- and post-steroids era. And it's relatively easy to do because what steroids did was it drastically prolonged and extended the overall amount of uh, of talent that these guys were able to bring to bear for years and years and years. And what I mean by that is, usually if you watch the, uh, the, the, the career trajectories, there's a pretty precipitous decline as guys get older. That didn't happen with Roger Clemens and, and, and Barry Bonds. Instead, they got better. It's pretty easy to see the line of demarcation before and after they started to use steroids. And it's also pretty easy to see that they would have been easy Hall of Famers even if they had never been able to use steroids at all. So I think that you can, uh, it's not that strained of a morality to figure that out. Uh, But those are the storylines that come out of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame voting. I think it's easy to say Kurt Schilling should be in. He would have been in years ago if he had not uh, had his politics involved. I think the trend lines are that he will get in given the fact that he got over 70% of the vote. Uh, and is inching closer and closer to inclusion there. Uh, I don't know if Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens are going to get in. To me, maybe the writers can stop making their point, and as you get to year 10 and recognize that you're going to get taken effectively off the ballot, maybe they will make the decision to go ahead and let them in. Does everybody agree uh, that, uh, let's start with Kurt Schilling. Everybody in agreement that if it weren't for his politics, he's a Hall of Famer, Danny G? Yes, 100%. And that's a bad look for baseball that they're in some way analyzing his politics as to whether or not he should be a Hall of Famer? Horrible look. Should have nothing to do with your political stance. Yeah. uh, Agreement there, Dub? Agreed. The only thing that should have anything to do with this is your play on the field. So anything other than that, I think, is ridiculous. Uh, Eddie, are you in agreement? Uh, I am, yes. Uh, And Roberto, you make it unanimous? Definitely, especially since Christian's uh, postseason ERA was one run lower in the postseason than it was in his career with regular season. Overall analysis of his on-field playing career, Kurt Schilling is an easy Hall of Famer. So I think this is a bad look for the baseball writers allowing their political leanings to dictate whether or not Kurt Schilling gets in. So we unanimously agree there. All right, let's come back around again, pretend we're voters as well. I go ahead and vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens personally because I saw them play in the era before they started to take steroids. I think unlike a Mark McGuire or a uh, Sammy Sosa, for instance, I know these guys are Hall of Famers even before the steroids era began, much like I know, for instance, A-Rod is a Hall of Famer even before the steroids era began 
yes, they cheated. Yes, that should be a part of their story in Cooperstown in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. But this, to me, is an easy decision to make. Go ahead and let these guys in. Uh, we know Bonds and uh, we know Clemens were Hall of Famers before. Would you vote him in as well, Danny G? I think I am on your side on this one. I actually, as a little kid, got to see Mark McGuire play some games for the Modesto A's before he got to Oakland and then got to watch him his rookie season. Tall, like, string being He had 50 home runs his, yeah. his rookie year. I yeah. mean, he had a lot of power his entire career. But I do think the reason why he became an icon was because of steroids. Yeah, he had not jacked himself up at that point. It was years later that he started to look kind of like some gladiator on the baseball diamond. Baseball's high morality is in question, especially with the whole Astros mess, yeah. especially us here in Los Angeles. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about that in the final yeah. in the final segment of, uh, of hour three, maybe even in the final segment of hour one. Yeah. And Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds let him in at this point. Uh, Dub, you let him in. Absolutely. I mean, you just look at his numbers and his accomplishments. It's absolutely ridiculous that he's not in the Hall of Fame and for a sport that cares so much about morality and dignity they sure are littered in history with scandals so it's just it's it's ridiculous to me yeah i think bonds and clemens is easy and it's kind of an an interesting pivot point because you can argue instead of having to analyze the overall impact of the steroids era they are the line of demarcation because they started playing before steroids overtook baseball and then got swept up in that steroids era and where basically every player who played is uh, kind of wearing a scarlet letter in some way uh, with the assumption because of how high the rates of usage were that everybody was cheating in some way. And and honestly, it, it's kind of interesting to think about. You had baseball uh, batters who were cheating against pitchers who were cheating. So it's like almost I feel like in some ways the cheating cancels out and the best players were still the best players, like Bonds and like Clemens. So I would put him in. Eddie, would you put him in? Yeah, I mean, look, I, baseball to me, I understand the tradition of it. But if there's, I mean, other than maybe cycling, is there another sport that has embraced cheating, frankly, throughout the history and the fabric of its sport than baseball? Wrestling. It's, they've been cheating. Well, yeah. I don't consider that yeah. real. <laughs> they've been che- cheating and baseball just go together like hot dogs in baseball, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, from spitballs to stealing signs. That's why I can't get all worked up about this Astros thing or the Red Sox thing, really. It's just cheating is a part of baseball, but then there's levels of cheating that make it wrong. Whatever. Put Just go ahead and put them in. Uh, Roberto, you'll put them in? Yeah, uh, especially, I mean, I wasn't a big favorite putting the steroids guys in the Hall of Fame, but since Mike Piazza's in there now, Jeff Bagwell, two guys who are, you know, quite, I'm pretty sure they were on Roy, so I agree, you put Barry Bonds in there and Roger Clemens because they were Hall of Famers before they started taking steroids, but Mark McGuire, I'm not so sure, I think Mark McGuire has been, he was using steroids. He was with the A's and the Bash Brothers with Jose Canseco. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Mark McGuire in there. Though. Yeah, right. I, I think the the choice right now at the ballot is Bonds and uh, and Clemens, and I think they're relatively easy choices to put in. There you go. Boom. We just solved every controversy in the world of baseball uh, Hall of Fame voting unanimously. And I think we honestly spoke for the vast majority of you out there that are listening as well, who would put Kurt Schilling in regardless of his politics and also would put Barry Bonds and uh, and Roger Clemens in, regardless of uh, their cheating as well. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. And you know O'Reilly Auto Parts. You know, o o o o who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you'll find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts are knowledgeable, helpful, and best of all, friendly. And by the way, I was just at O'Reilly not that long ago, within the last month, and guess what? Needed some help with the alternator, had some questions with the batteries, they helped me right away, and did it right there in the parking lot. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their tricks of the trade. Create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location, species, salt versus freshwater, and more. Plus, it's smooth sailing with Fishing Booker's simple online payment method. You'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local. Start your angling adventure now with Fishing Booker. Visit FishingBooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Pirelli tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended install near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerack.com sports to see their pirelli test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerack.com sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be 
Yesterday, we brought you an incredible Animal Thunderdome story about a man named Ian O'Reilly, a father of five up in New Hampshire, who choked a coyote to death uh, after it attacked his two-year-old. Here is that local news story from New Hampshire, if you guys did not hear it yesterday. And then on the backside of this, we have the uh, heroic father. But first, here is that local news story, Animal Thunderdome, man versus coyote, rabid coyote, as if that were not enough. Here's what it sounded like. Came out of nowhere. No noise, nothing. Out of the peripheral of my vision, um, saw a flash. It was an encounter that escalated without warning. A coyote that leapt onto Ian O'Reilly's two-year-old son from behind immediately activated his adrenaline and instincts. I was able to put myself between the coyote and the family, and from there, um, it was a series of uh, attacks from a pretty aggressive coyote. It made it very clear that it was not going away. The aggressive animal, believed to be rabid, sunk its teeth into O'Reilly. Riley's arm and chest, but he tackled it and gained the upper hand, telling his family to run to their car parked about a half mile away. Uh, what are you going to do? How are you going to protect your family really is what it comes down to and was able to then get it squarely in the jaw with my boot and was able to jump on it and then uh, wrestle it to the ground. So I shoved uh, the face into the snow and then eventually was able to put my hand on its snout and expire it through suffocation. He says the struggle lasted for at least 10 minutes before the coyote took its final breath. Police say the coyote O'Reilly killed is likely the same one that sprang onto a moving car in the area and all also attacked Pat Lee on her porch earlier in the day. I could hear the plumber screaming, get in here fast, and then I felt a bite. <laughs> like, okay. And I'm just really glad that they got the coyote. I'm really scared for other people. O'Reilly believes there's no doubt the animal was sick and would have continued going after people. He's becoming a bit of an expert on the topic. Last year, his four-year-old son was attacked by a rabid raccoon in the family's yard. We now have two different animals uh, and two different sequences and two different people, so I would suggest don't walk with us in the woods. And fortunately, the coyote did not bite through the snowsuit of O'Reilly's two-year-old son, so the toddler will not have to endure any rabies shots. But as you just saw, O'Reilly wasn't as lucky. He just received his first round of shots and has five more follow-up visits scheduled. In Kensington, New Hampshire, Drew Caritas, Boston 25 News. All right, so uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Ian O'Reilly, I believe, is with us now. Uh, and, uh, Ian, like, uh, had you ever wondered whether you could kill like a coyote or a wolf in man-to-man combat before, like in your own kind of private time? Had you ever thought about that? Uh, it's something I've been thinking about trying to go back to, uh, you know, is this anything I've ever scenario planned for? And I can't say a rabid animal is something that really went to the top of the list. Uh, I'm usually thinking we're usually hikers, uh, not really a nature walker so much. So I went out there and thinking more, you know, smaller animals, uh, you know, in New Hampshire. So there's not a lot of big game. There's not, you know, a lot of bears, at least where we go. Uh, but you, you do wonder, what would I do? How would I do it? And, and unfortunately, we didn't have any equipment with us at, at all. Um, so it was really... Uh, when, when you do try and think of it, you think, well, I'd have a knife. Well, I'd have a backpack. Well, I'd have some poles. I'd have something. So, uh, unfortunately, we didn't have anything. So, this is this is not how the, the best plan in my head usually went, uh, so, where I'd say, you know, heroically stab it with a ski pole. And, and uh, no, now this is not how uh, I ever thought something like this would, would play out. So, I believe the story there said you have five kids. What are their age ranges? How, how big was your hiking crew on this day? 
Yeah, we're we're actually a family of five with three kids and a six-year-old uh, daughter, four-year-old son who got bit by the raccoon, as the story said, and then a two-year-old, which um, for whatever reason, the coyote just misjudged and, and thought the uh, the ski suit was his head, not his uh, his hood. So uh, he did get sort of taken to the ground, but, but luckily just by the, the ski outfit, not <clears throat> not his head. All right, so where does the coyote come from? Like, do you have it? Do you see it in the distance, or does it just kind of come running out of the woods and suddenly attack your two-year-old? Yeah, it came from behind us. Um, after the fact, I realized uh, when I'd been able to get up off of it eventually that it was bleeding from its hindquarters. So when I walked back the trail, you could actually see a trail of blood, which I was really hoping wasn't my, my kids. It was really right. hoping it was the coyotes, and, uh, and, and it turned out to be his. So he was tracking us for probably uh, 200, 300 meters uh, before he he found us. So it was a relatively well-traveled trail. So. I imagine he just went up that trail on his merry way to go somewhere, and we just happened to be in his way. All right, so he grabs your two-year-old. I'm sure chaos ensues right after that. You said, I think you have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. So yep. you're able to – how do you get him away, the two-year-old? Because you said he, I think he bought the, bit the hood of the two-year-old uh, trying to think maybe it was his head, but he bit the two-year-old's hood. Like, how quickly do you get him away? So my wife um, was holding his hand, and they were uh, a little bit behind me. And her really, her quick thinking was was really the beginning pivot of the encounter, where she was able to uh, maintain holding onto his hand, and then picked him up, and then put him behind her almost immediately. So she she thought of the family dog, maybe a dog off leash. Uh, you know, it's a pretty well traveled uh, you know family pet area. So we thought, you know, okay, maybe it's a mid sized dog. Uh, and then really quickly realized it was not a dog. Um, although the similarities between it and a, sort of a smaller German Shepherd were pretty pretty uh, similar. <clears throat> so she was able to get our son behind her. And, and because we had had that family raccoon incident a year ago, uh, we drilled into our kids over, I mean, almost to the point of, of uh, ridiculousness, uh, how to handle a situation when, you know, a pet kitty comes into the, the forest, which obviously is not a, a kitty, but what do you do? And she ran behind a small tree, uh, realized it was too small to hide behind, ran behind a bigger tree, and called her brothers over to her. So, you know, we're really proud of her for doing exactly what we told her to do because that was the other really big variable in the situation that, that just immediately was a non-factor. Right? The, uh, the kids are out of the picture. Then you can really focus on the aggressor and not have to worry about where are my kids, what are they doing, are they going to come try and you know, help me, are they going to run away and then be a distraction and... and become attacked as well so they did a great job all right so i want to go back to this uh this raccoon attack i mean what are the odds that one family would have two different rabbit animals attack you said that uh, your four-year-old i think got attacked by a raccoon was that just in the yard a rabid raccoon yeah it was uh it's just really really bad luck i'm going to assume that um any rabbit animal in the area is going to come and find us and see how we're doing. Uh, it's just, it's yeah, it's uh, ten thousand cases a year are uh, are reported in the U.S. and we have two of them in the last uh, you know seven month calendar year. So uh, I'm going to just That's go ahead and say we're pretty unlucky. Yeah. And what happened with the raccoon? Did you kill that one too? Because that doesn't. I mean, a raccoon is small, but a rabbit raccoon sounds terrifying as well. It was terrifying the fact that essentially it's the last living thing it possibly did on this earth was to bite my son's kneecap, which was just ridiculous. It basically fell over dead on the spot after that. So it wasn't as uh, quite as interesting, but it was <laughs> like, thanks a lot. You know, that was the yeah. last thing you did is bite my son's knee. Great. Thanks. All right. So the, the, your kids are safe. Your wife is getting them uh, out of that area as well. 
And then does the coyote, like, after he attacks your two-year-old first, circle back around and come back at you? How does he end up, I believe he bit you at least twice. How does that scenario play out? Yeah, uh, for, for whatever reason, uh, after he failed to sort of take down and remove my son, uh, he circled around in front of us. And, and put himself perfectly in a position for, for me to be in between the two of them. So there wasn't a lot I needed to do except for maintain that, that sort of proximity of me between the family. Uh, my wife did come over at one point to try and uh, kick the coyote, but uh, she wasn't doing a, uh, neither one of us were very successful um, in the fact of trying to you know, raise our voices, try and cause some commotion to scare it away as you would. Most, most normal animals at that point in time would disengage and run away, which is what we were really aiming to do. We did not want to get into a confrontation with you know, a mid-sized animal with a rather good set of, of uh, teeth there. So that was our first intention is to just you know, push, kick, sh- get it out, get it away. Uh, and it, did, it actually just heightened um, its sense of uh, energy and sort of aggressiveness after that. So uh, we failed pretty dramatically there in uh, the de-escalation sequence. And so we ended up trying to, you know, kick it, uh, try and just swing at it. I had a, <laughs> I had a children's water bottle in my hand, which I at one point in time did hit over its head, but it was just a piece of plastic with not much in it, um, and I'm not going to hydrate it to death. So you know that was um, <laughs> that 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 went away pretty quickly. And so and the, ultimately, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, you continue. Um, it, we we did kick it in the ribs a few times rather well, but all that did is really just it just hopped out of the way. And when trying to kick it further, it was it, when you try and rile up a dog, it'll sort of bounce back and forth on its on its front paws while maintaining its back paws, and it was really just dodging us, which was incredible because it was rabid, and, and to be able to do that was was quite impressive on its behalf. Uh, but ultimately, one really really good kick to the jaw uh, sent it sort of reeling backwards, and then. That was the that was the end uh, the, because it wasn't presenting itself to be very easily tackled uh, because every time I went near it it just it lunged at me and tried to bite me and then from there uh, it became a lot a lot easier once it was on the ground then it was more of a wrestling match than anything else. So you get it you kick it kind of stun it a little bit then dive on top of the do uh, you just dive on top of the of the coyote is that when you get bit? Yeah, I, I'm fairly so. <laughs> Everyone says uh, things slow down, but that is that is absolutely not the case. Everything speeds up dramatically uh, to the point where you're just act-react. Uh, there's no tactics. There's no strategy, uh, at least for me in this instance. There was just no way to really think about it. And so I actually thought I was bit on the leg. Turns out I wasn't bit on the leg at all. Um, I was bit on the, the forearm and the chest. So I think it kind of goes to show that what you think might be happening in the moment, it really isn't the case. Um, but it definitely did bite me while I was lunging, and then it did get me again on the chest when I jumped on top of it. But, uh, you know, my number one goal is to just stop being bit. Uh, you know, what is its number one ability to hurt me, and that's its mouth. Uh, it's paws, and it's not like a, a large wolf where it could do some, some damage with its claws. So uh, that was really what I was aiming for, and in a, in a few moments was able to get my hand on its snout and then just shove it as hard as I could into the ground. Um, there was maybe six inches of snow on the ground at that point, so I just tried to bury its head as much as I could to disorient it so I couldn't see what was going on. And how long do you have to stay on top of the animal? So you basically grab one hand, I'm guessing, with the, to hold the snout, and then you're trying to basically choke it to death? I mean, the, how, how, did you, how did you manage to kill it? Yeah, my, my, my right hand, uh, so my dominant hand was on its snout, so I felt pretty good about that. Uh, it wasn't able to remove it. Uh, it did try and wriggle out free, as, as sort of like any animal would that has its head covered under maybe a blanket or something. So I tried to back out. 
Um, so my, my wife did come over and with a stick at that point, unbeknownst to me, and tried to <laughs> tried to stab it to death. Um, unfortunately, she she really just kept getting the ribs, I think, and the hide was was rather thick. Yeah, so she wasn't able to do to do anything. Uh, so very quickly, uh, instead of every time she tried to stab, she kept hitting me in the head. <laughs> I said, maybe maybe you can just disengage now and take the <laughs> take the kids and go because I'm not sure if it's helping or hurting. Um, and then from there. Uh, <clears throat> It, the animal was, I sort of gave it a hug on accident, so my arm was underneath it, and then was able to relieve my arm uh, to get it onto its windpipe, and thought I was doing some really good work, uh, but about five minutes in, realized that it was just being patient, waiting for me to be tired and, and sort of give up, as, as animals sometimes do, they sort of play dead, uh, because it all of a sudden got a real like heave of energy and, and tried to back out again, and I thought, oh, I've done nothing in the last five minutes other than just keep it on the ground. So ultimately, was able to swing my body over it and sort of straddle it. I uh, wrap my knees around its um, sort of uh, midsection, I suppose, and, and thought, well, <clears throat> if I can't strangle it to death with my hands, uh, which does not seem to be working, I tried to uh, extend its jaw upwards to reduce the ability for it to breathe, and then uh, scissor locked my feet together, and then just squeezed for pretty much all I was worth for quite a while, um, and then I was able to free my other hand up and then get it back on its windpipe and. Uh, over time, it, it became you could you could tell it was laboring in its breath, and then I, I moved my hand up the snout to cover its nose, because ultimately it still has a very viable uh, air passageway with its with its nostrils. So when I was able to get there, there was a little bit of snow in my hand, so I got that on top of his snout as well, and uh, so it covered his, his nostrils. And uh, from there, squeezing um, pretty much for all I was worth, I was able to to get it down to the next probably two or three minutes after that. All right, so this is a this is a pretty big battle. Did you recognize that it was a rabid coyote early on? Like when, once you were getting bit, once you'd gotten bitten, did you realize it, or do, when do you realize that it's it's rabid? Not at all. Not not during the entire sequence. It didn't act rabid. Uh, and the fact that uh, the the my only point of reference was a was a rabid raccoon that was just not well. I mean, right. really not well. So it was barely moving. It was. <laughs> Uh, it did nothing, uh, whereas the coyote was an active aggressor, very much uh, lucid and at the moment. So I was thinking that it was actually a, a very viable animal. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I wasn't thinking at all. Um, once the children were, were behind me, and, and I didn't truly know where they were during most of this, other than I knew they were behind me, but and they weren't near the coyote, uh, until much, much later when, when I sort of looked back, and then you start putting pieces of the puzzle together. And, and looked over and saw my daughter behind a tree, and, okay, she's all right, and I didn't hear any screaming, so, okay, probably no one's in really big pain, so then you really just, just focus. How do, I, how do I end this as quickly as possible? So since then, uh, now what happens with the shots? Like, I, do you know 100% that the coyote is rabid? Has it been diagnosed as being rabid? Yep. It did, yep. It's positive. Uh, so how many shots do you have to get? What's the treatment for something like this now? Yeah, it's a lot better than it used to be. I mean, I remember growing up hearing you get the, the six shots in the stomach, and then you yeah. go back a hundred times, and you basically wish you were dead. You wish the animal just killed you. Yeah. Um, now, that's not the same as it used to be. Now they give you um, immunoglobulin and an antiviral uh, vaccination. So I have four rounds. Um, got a few shots in the in the gluteus, um, you know, for, for posterity measures, but... Um, yeah, it's it's four rounds. It lasts fourteen days. You have a zero, a three, a seven, and a fourteen day uh, cycle, and then it's one hundred percent curative. It's also one hundred percent mortality. So the the risk benefit to doing it is is a no brainer. I mean, even if you come near a rabbit animal, 
it's worth it. It's not that painful, and and you'll be happy that you did. Uh, now, how much of a trump card do you think this gives you when your wife is upset with you in the the weeks and months ahead? So, like, if you forget to take the garbage out, or you know, like uh, you uh, you give the kids uh, you know too much ice cream or something like that, and you're being criticized. Uh, or let's say the Super Bowl is coming up and you want to have friends over to watch, uh, you know, are you planning on saying, well, you know, I did, you know, choke a rabid coyote to death to save the family. Do you think this this gives you any leeway as the dad, as a husband, uh, when your wife is upset with you? I'm going to slow play this one. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of of attention right now, so I don't need to do a whole lot there. Um, You know, so maybe a year or two from now when it's time to talk about a certain scenario, remember that time? Remember? Remember? I mean, I I have to to be honest with you. I'm just so proud of my wife and my kids for the way that they acted. Uh, They were able to remove themselves from danger. My wife was able to leave a husband wrestling with a coyote and, and just say, yeah. Go get him, Tiger, and, uh, and and you know take the kids back to the car, which which was a real struggle for her. She had to essentially argue with her to leave, um, and so you know it, it it's funny, right? There's a ton of press about about me killing a rac, uh, a raccoon, uh, a coyote, uh, which which is fair, um, but it's definitely there are certain points within that sequence that could have just gone horribly differently, um. and I just can't just can't say enough good things about how the family acted. What do your kids think? Are you He-Man now? Do they assume that you can kill any animal with your bare hands? Well, my, my youngest son, uh, we came back yesterday from a, an appointment and said, yeah, mom and dad are safe, yay. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> bad wolf, bad puppy. Uh, yeah. So, you know, um, you know, it's, it's going through, you know, not every not every coyote in the world is, wants, to, wants to kill you. Uh, not every person in the world is a bad person yeah. sort of a thing. So, um, yeah, we're getting through that. Um, luckily, my wife's a psychologist who works on PTSD, so I think we're we're pretty qualified there to be able to go through the uh, the sequence. But uh, the one thing that that we didn't do with the raccoon that we're doing now is really just talking through it once every two hours. You know, what do you think about? How's that going? What are you feeling? Because ultimately, we didn't do that with a raccoon, and it it was still a conversation that morning of the coyote attack of, you know, what about that raccoon? How's the raccoon doing? So. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty important to, to get ahead of it and just continually talk through it, especially with the kids, because they'll just bury it. Any part of you want to uh, to get the coyote's head, like on uh, taxidermy style, and have it uh, to uh, to keep somewhere maybe in the garage? I wanted to murder that thing so badly in the moment. I mean, I was thinking back to it, and I was just so furious that it would attack my family and attack me, and and then it went from fury to just sadness of, you know, why did we have to go through this again? Uh, yeah. And so, you know, all I would do is probably just use it as a punching bag uh, in, in my bad moments uh, because it's just, come on, again? Amen. It's, it's not fair. Ian O'Reilly, uh, we appreciate you, my man. Thanks for coming on. Congratulations on winning a, a life-or-death struggle against a rabid coyote. <laughs> and uh, thanks for coming Thank on with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Uh, that is pretty fantastic. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Joined now by Michael McCarthy from Front Office Sports. He's broken a couple of interesting stories here of late. He's at M. McCarthy Rev on Twitter. Mike, thanks for getting up early with us, and uh, let's dive right in. You expect for Tony Romo to become the highest paid NFL uh, game analyst ever. Now, now John Madden made more on a per capita basis, but 
How much money do you think Romo's going to make, and who ends up with his services, CBS uh, or ESPN? Clay, we're hearing that ESPN is prepared to offer him 10 to $14 million a year for seven years. So, which is wow. Getting up into the, the kind of money he made as a quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and, and a huge raise over what he's making now, which is $4 million a year. So potentially all the way up to 10 to $14 million a year. Uh, now, does this a situation where a rising tide lifts all boats? In other words, if you're ESPN and you are going to pay uh, that much money for Tony Romo to come over and work with you, do you then have to go out in theory and also, I would imagine, bump up a guy like uh, Kirk Herbstreet substantially too, right? Uh, and uh, if you're Jim Nance and everybody else who's in this space, you would think, this is going to drive up the salaries for everybody, right? I think you're right about that, Clay. I mean, talent is closely watching this because this could reset the bar for so many people. As somebody said to me, uh, you know, why is it okay for some entertainment goof like Ryan Seacrest to make $20 million a year, but you're going to cheap out on your number one NFL animals? I mean, the NFL and sports pays the bills on TV right now. Uh, at the same time, Clay, though, I don't think it's going to reset the bar for everybody. I think we're going into this kind of 1% contract situation where the, the top people, the Herb Streets, the Stephen A's, the Romos who move the needle are going to make the money. The people in the middle are going to get stiffed, and then you're going to have a lot of people making relatively little at the bottom. I think there's some truth to that. It's kind of the superstar effect in general. So uh, when you apply this superstar effect, how why would somebody decide that Romo is worth that money? So if CBS decides to keep him or if ESPN hires him away, what is the uh, the impact for them from a ratings perspective and a program perspective? Why would Romo be worth this much money? Well, I think uh, ratings-wise, uh, you know, Romo is – you know, just a ratings grabber. He's one of the few analysts who's actually cut through and is able to become a celebrity amongst people. But I think there's a lot of stakeholders that people like Sean McManus of CBS and Jimmy Pitaro are trying to satisfy here. I mean, who they're really trying to impress, so much, not so much viewers, is the NFL. I mean, as you know, Clay, ESPN has been on the outs with the NFL for, for years. Yes. Uh, they got the worst schedule, and they, they were, you know, had trouble, you know, getting uh, what they wanted from them. So this is a way for ESPN to go to the NFL and say, you know what, we love you guys. We are willing to pay what it takes to have the number one analyst, the number one production team, and maybe you'll give us a Super Bowl. So as part of that, what do you think Romo's going to do, and what's his time frame? I think the time frame is this is going to happen in the next uh, two months. I'd say a month or two within the Super Bowl. I think it's 50-50. I mean, I'm reading all these stories. Oh, he's going back to CBS. Who says? He's a young businessman. He's a conglomerate. He's a young, he's a young father and husband. He's got offers from Hollywood to do Strahan type stuff. He could go to the PGA Tour. Hell, he can still play and coach if he wants. You know, so this guy is not a lifer, a CBS lifer like Jim Nance. He doesn't bleed the CBS high. He's going to do what's best for him. Uh, and uh, is this also partly a response to the, the the difficulty that ESPN has had in its Monday Night Football booth uh, ever since John Gruden decided to go back to uh, to coaching? And they've kind of they've had Jason Witten, they've had Booger McFarland, they've had Joe Tessitore. There's been a lot of moving parts there, and it hasn't necessarily been a smooth transition. Exactly. I mean, you know, the easiest decision in all this is Pitaro. It's like, you know, just open the checkbook and say, what do you want? 
because he's got a bleeding wound in the the Monday Night Football booth. Yes, ratings went up this year, but the booth hasn't been the same since John Gruden, especially Tirico, left. You know, Witten was a disaster. You know, uh, McFarland showed promise this year, but he had a bad uh, playoff game, and people remember that. Uh, okay, so what happens uh, with this uh, this decision in general? Because this is part of a bigger picture for what the NFL is going to do with its rights package. Does ESPN move Monday Night Football to ABC? Do they keep the Monday Night Football package? How would you assess the larger universe of what the NFL uh, television rights are going to look like? Yeah, that's a great point. Because people have to look forward, not backwards. What uh, ABC and ESPN are trying to do is not only retain the Monday Night Football package, but possibly pick up another package. They see Romo as the headliner for them grabbing Fox's package on Sunday afternoon, or NBC's Sunday Night Football package, or even CBS's Sunday afternoon package. Those are the three best packages to have. That's what ESPN and uh, ABC ultimately want. They want one of those, maybe one of those, and maybe two packages, so you have like a Sunday afternoon and a Monday night package. Now, okay, you know, Romo gets the greatest games again, the best schedule, which he wouldn't get on Monday Night Football. So if people start thinking forward instead of backwards, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, It also could raise some perception issues for CBS because they are losing the SEC game of the week to ESPN. If they lost their best analyst to ESPN as well, that potentially could be a couple of body blows delivered against CBS. How much does perception play in here? I think it pl- uh, plays a lot. I think CBS knows exactly what they have with Romo. They love the guy. Nance loves him. McManus loves him. Uh, they know that they took a chance on him. Remember, you know, they moved aside an analyst of 20 years, Phil Sims, to give a TV rookie the number one job in the booth. So I think CBS is going to do everything in their power to keep them. And if that means, you know, matching some ridiculous offer from ESPN, I could see them doing that. I mean, the only way, you know what I mean, I think CBS just bows out as if ESPN just makes an offer that's just too big. And the reports are that uh, that CBS would have the offer to match any, uh, have the opportunity to match any offer that CBS made, right? I mean, the CBS, if ESPN comes in and says, hey, we'll give you $14 million, CBS can match that if they so desire. That's correct. That's what we're hearing. And, and look, Clay, don't forget, too, CBS is a great story. CBS does great NFL productions. Yeah. You know, you watch those Ronald games with Nance. You know what I mean? They're fantastic together. And don't forget Nance. Nance is the X factor in this equation. You know, Nance mentored him. Nance is his friend. Nance is egoless. Nance let Tony be the star. How many guys are willing to do that? Not a lot, certainly in uh, in the television uh, boot space. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to the Ringer. Uh, the Ringer is Bill Simmons' site. It has been in existence basically since he left ESPN and since uh, Grantland got shut down. Reports are that he is in talks with Spotify. That came from the Wall Street Journal. You then reported that the number that you have heard that Simmons is seeking is two hundred million dollars. I saw yesterday. The Washington Post reporting that the writers at uh, The Ringer are nervous because the podcast network is where they make their money. What ends up happening here? Do you think Simmons gets close to $200 million? Does Spotify buy The Ringer assets? How does this shake out? Well, I think if, if you're talking to you know the pros in the business, as I was doing for this story, they think the real valuation of The Ringer now is about 90 to to $100 million. Uh-huh. 
However, you know, as you and I know, Clay, I mean, the real uh, valuation sometimes doesn't matter. It's what people are willing to pay. It's like you're negotiating for a job. Your salary is whatever somebody's willing to pay. And Spotify has been spending like a drunken sailor. They spent $400 million on two acquisitions, including $235 million on one company alone. So if Spotify is willing to overpay and willing to pay a premium for uh, for Bill Simmons, as one uh, – expert told me if I was Simmons, I'd take it in a heartbeat. Do you think that Simmons' desire to sell is partly rooted in his staff's decision to union unionize and the, the challenges that come with trying to manage that kind of unwieldy relationship? I, I don't. I, I think uh, Simmons has done a really good job uh, as being an entrepreneur. I, from what I understand, he's not a great manager, but in terms of seeing around corners and seeing what's next, He's done a really good job of that. And I think the only reason, you know, to build a, a site like The Ringer, uh, besides having your own creative freedom and, and the ability to do whatever you want, is to one day do a deal like this and uh, make the real money that, you know, a, a journalist, you know, bartender journalist would have never made 20 years ago. So, I mean, if he can get it, uh, I'm always on the side of talent. I say go for it. There's a couple of other stories that are out there that are interesting. I'm sure you saw The Athletic reportedly raising another round of venture capital money that now values The Athletic at $500 million, which is a massive amount. Uh, Are you surprised at the success that that company has had and how rapidly it's come about? You know, I'm not surprised at the success, and I'll tell you why, Clay. You know, I've been in this business a long time, and one of the things The Athletic did that nobody was doing for the last 15 years 20 years in this business was focused on talent. They went, who's the best writing talent? Who's the best reporting talent? Go out and let them do their thing. You know what I mean? For the last 10 or 20 years in journalism, it was always about the bottom line. It was about getting, you know, cheap people to, you know, just push sludge through the system, you know what I mean, to get clicks and uh, and headlines instead of real quality work. And, you know what I mean, there was a huge opening for somebody to put a stake in the ground and said, we're going to do quality journalism again, and we believe people will pay for it. And you know what? It worked. Hats off. Uh, do you think that Barstool, there's been a report from Recode as well, that Barstool, that the Chernin Group, which owns Barstool, is trying to sell it potentially to a gambling company and that Penn National may well be the buyer. Do you think that that's going to go through? I don't know if it, it'll go through. Uh, you know, Barstool is always in acquisition talks. It's always uh, been mer- it's always been mentioned uh, as being for sale. You know, I, I wonder about the Chernin Group at some point. You know, uh, do they just uh, get tired of you know defending Barstool, or do they just uh, you know take it uh, under uh, advisement that you know part of Barstool's DNA is always to be in these battles and fights and stuff like this. But, uh, you know, gambling is the, is the coming thing in sports. You know, you're on Lock It In. You know there's a lot of interest in, in sports betting and a lot of interest in sports gambling. And Barstool has really carved out a nice ditch there. So, yeah, I think uh, somebody's going to come along and want to pay for that. What are the other big stories that are out there in the sports media as we move into 2020? Who should we be paying attention to? What companies should we be paying attention to? What are you tracking as the Super Bowl nears and uh, everything continues to advance? Well, I, I think the huge story is going to be the, the coming NFL rights negotiations. You know, everybody uh, is sort of uh, plugged in to what's happening. And, and I really think, Clay, that we could see an upending of the rights packages the way we saw in the early 90s, you know, where these things that we used to, CBS has the AFC, and uh, Fox has the NFC, ESPN is Monday Night Football. I think they could all change. I really do. 
And I think that is going to be, you know, the huge story of the year. The other is, uh, you know, the Olympics and the the election. You know what I mean? Are people going to turn to the Olympics to get away from what's going to be, you know, probably the most divisive presidential election in history if you don't count Trump or Hillary? And then uh, number three is what are people going to be doing with uh, these political advertising? Are we going to be seeing political advertising for the campaigns on all these sports channels? That's something I'm going to be looking at closely. Uh, What about Skip uh, Bayless? What do you think he's going to do? Is he going to become the highest paid uh, non-Tony Romo sports media figure out there? Well, I've heard and we have reported at Front Office Sports that him and Stephen A. want a reunion. I mean, they're like two unrequited lovers, right? They don't even try to. Uh, they don't even try to hide it. You know, they, they call each other their brother from another mother. Uh, they've they've never had better partners. Skip's contract is up this year, so that is going to be the big big deal for Fox. You know what I mean? Do uh, you know they pay him Stephen A. money, which is ten million dollars a year, or? conceivably, would ESPN be willing to pay him that kind of money and put all that cash into one show? I mean, that would be a serious move, Clay, you know, to pay two guys that kind of money for one show, first take. So that is going to be a real, that's going to be really the story for Fox. I mean, I think Colin is locked up. So Skip is the big one who could get away. Good stuff. Mike McCarthy, you can follow him on Twitter uh, and keep up with everything there at MMCarthyRev. You can read him at Front Office Sports. Thanks for getting up early with us, man. Appreciate you hanging. Thanks, Clay. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. And you know O'Reilly Auto Parts? You know, o o o O'Reilly, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free, in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced a brake light fix or a quick service they'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice you'll find the employees at o'reilly auto parts are knowledgeable helpful and best of all friendly and by the way i was just at o'reilly not that long ago within the last month and guess what needed some help with the alternator had some questions with the batteries they helped me right away and did it right there in the parking lot the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto, do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit them at O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash 2pros. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's the secret to catching prize-worthy fish in exotic waters? 
Learning to fish like a local with Fishing Booker. Hey, Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. There's only one way to turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day, and that's with the valuable knowledge of a local guide. With FishingBooker.com, you have the world's largest booking platform of local fishing guides right at your fingertips. Use Fishing Booker's easy-to-use online booking system and discover thousands of local fishing charters from around the world ready to share their trip of the trade create your perfect fishing experience and search for charters by location species salt versus freshwater and more plus it's smooth sailing with fishing bookers simple online payment method you'll always fish with confidence when you start fishing like a local start your angling adventure now with fishing booker visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today fishing booker fishing trips made easy Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You've put it off long enough. It's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort. Performance tires for sporty handling. All-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Kumo tires. Shipped fast and free to a recommended installation near you or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation they'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site it doesn't get much easier than that go to tirerack.com sports see their kumo test results tire ratings and consumer reviews and be sure to check out all the current special offers great tires and a great deal what more could you ask for that's tirerack.com sports tirerack.com the way tire buying should be I want to talk about this, by the way, uh, maybe later this week. Have any of you guys watched the Aaron Hernandez documentary yet on Netflix? Watched it this past weekend. What'd you think? It was really good, especially the uh, jailhouse recordings. Yeah, the jailhouse the recordings and the phone calls yeah. were pretty incredible. That was a uh, that was pretty wild to be able to include those. I finished it last night. Uh, it's three hours. Uh, for those of you out there who may not have watched it, um, certainly most sports fans, I think, are familiar with that story. But I get the sense that because it's been on the front page of Netflix, that it's uh, it's really kind of spiraling into a community that might not be watching it otherwise. In other words, you know, if you like true crime stories, the 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 that there is, and I'll give you an example. When I was in my LA hotel, uh, I was on uh, was working out in the gym on I think it was Saturday morning before I flew back and uh, there were two other women uh, on either side of me I was on an elliptical machine Uh, and so I'm on the elliptical machine two other women are on either side of me both of them and I don't believe they were together both of them were watching on their uh, on their iPads the Netflix Aaron Hernandez documentary and both the women were like I don't know 65 or older So maybe they're huge sports fans, right? It could be that they are massive sports fans. But I get the sense that that Aaron Hernandez documentary is hitting a large swath of the population that may not have known much about the sports story associated with it and is more interested in the true crime angle. Uh, And so uh, my wife, for instance, said she wants to watch it and she knew it was out there. She's not paying attention on a day-to-day basis to the Aaron Hernandez story. And I doubt that she's watched a quote-unquote sports documentary in years, yet she wants to watch it as well. So I feel as if there is going to be a massive audience for this. Anybody else watch it yet? Are you guys going to watch it? 
I've seen it already. It's great. Yeah, so you watched it too. So you you yeah. thought it was pretty solid as well. Yeah. Was I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's a 3-hour film and it just went up when on like Wednesday. It's only been up for like a week. And the fact that 3 of us at least have already watched the whole thing is uh, is pretty interesting. Eddie and Dub, have you seen this yet? I haven't seen it, but I'm planning on seeing it this week at some point. Yeah, I mean, now that the it's, it was perfect timing for them to put it up when they did because the NFL, if you're a football fan, suddenly the NFL comes to a screeching halt. We got one game left for the Super Bowl, but you have a lot more time, and that's kind of the way it is for me because I watch so much football, and then suddenly when the NFL and college football come to a close, I have the opportunity to uh, to, to watch other things, and so I watched this last night. What about you, Eddie? Are you going to watch it? Yeah, I'm like you, Clay. Um, I'm waiting for – my wife wants to watch it as well. She's a huge true crime fan, so we're kind of waiting to – Watch it together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I think there will be a lot. Did you watch it, Roberto, with your wife? Yeah, my wife. Yeah, my wife loves those like oh. true crime things, stories. So she really like she liked that one too. So she enjoyed. I think that's the. I always say that there is there's a sports fan, right? And and you're listening to us out there, guy, girl, whoever you are, and you pay attention to sports. But the biggest sports stories are the ones that pivot outside of the world of sports. And I think the Aaron Hernandez documentary, given its placement on Netflix and how popular in general Netflix is, particularly with things that are on the front page of the Netflix uh, Netflix, uh, uh, site, I think it's going to explode if it hasn't already into just a massive audience. But we're going to get Dan Wetzel, who spends, who comes on this show quite a bit, Yahoo Sports National columnist. He has been uh, and is a voice on this documentary, and he was an executive producer because he covered the Aaron Hernandez trials, and yeah. we've had him on these, this program talking about it over the years. And uh, I, I think that uh, that we'll get him on maybe for a full hour uh, to talk about that documentary. I'm just trying to think of when the best time to do it is, because I'm curious what percentage of our audience has watched. In fact, if you have watched, just tweet me right now. I'm kind of curious how prevalent the viewership is at Clay Travis. Tweet me and let me know what you thought about uh, about that program. It was really cool seeing Dan Wetzel's name in the credits. And uh, you're right about women loving the uh, the the crime channels, the true crime. Oh, yeah, and the of course. ID. ID yeah, my, oh, my wife loves that channel. I man. dated one woman back in the day. That's all she would watch. The way we obsess on sports, there's women where they just obsess on those channels alone. Ask oh. my wife, are you going to murder me one day or what, what are you watching these shows? Oh, I mean, I, I say that when you break down male and female television viewing, this is my theory in general on how to kind of assess it. Men, by and large, watch aspirational television programming. And what I mean by that is most men, if you look at the television programs that we watch, we watch wishing we were the guy in the program, right? Aspirational viewing. If you are a man and you watch sports, every man who is watching sports on television wishes he was on the, in the game, right? Almost, almost 100% of male television viewing when it comes to sports is aspirational. Man, I wish I was that guy. Wrestling. You watch wrestling if you're in the entertainment uh, side of things. You wish that you were as ripped as that wrestler. If you watch uh, even you know like male television programming beyond that, it's mostly men watching men that they wish they were as talented as in something, right? By and large. Women watch television to uh to for a couple of reasons i think when you break down women's television viewing one they watch 
to confirm that other women are crazier than them. If you, I, I swear to God, think about it. The, the shows that your wife or your girlfriend watches, especially if it's a reality show, which are so popular, the Real Housewives shows, The Bachelor, almost all women's television programming is women watching women who are crazier than them. That's true. Think about it. (laughs) Women don't watch television to be aspirational. They watch so they can be like, thank God I'm not as crazy as that woman. So true, right? You watch like the Real Housewives shows, The Bachelor. 90 Day Fiance, which my wife likes to watch. Almost every female popular show is women who watch women who are crazier than them. And I think the subtext of everything that they watch is, thank God, at least I'm not as crazy as that girl, right? That's women's television viewing. That's one part. The second part is men are going to kill us. Women love, like the whole Lifetime television network is predicated on men are going to kill us. And there's a subtext there of (laughs) men are going to convince us that they actually like us And then they're going to try to kill us, right? Because all those Lifetime shows are like, oh, he seems so nice. Every woman is secretly convinced that her husband or boyfriend is going to kill her. I don't understand why women are so insanely attracted to the murder mystery concept, but they are. And I don't know if it's because uh, they like just uh, naturally are both attracted to and repelled by men because men like we don't watch shows where women try to kill us. Right? Like, there's not any men's genre where men just sit around and they're like, and I used to date this girl, and then she tried to poison (laughs) me to death, and we just don't sit around, like, watching those movies all day long, right? Like, it doesn't work. If you think about it, the lifetime television model is man is trying to kill woman. The, The flip side of woman trying to kill man, men don't watch. Now, men might watch guy try to kill a guy, Right, The violence is attractive to men, but it's always like two men trying to hurt each other or try to kill each other. UFC, boxing, uh, you know, television programs in general, movies. But women trying to kill men, not attractive at all as a viewership. Have I just nailed television in general? Have I blown all your minds by deconstructing why people watch what they do? Uh, yes. With, I mean, women, with women, especially if they think the, the guy who did the murdering was good looking. Because well, there, there was a girl on Facebook this past weekend, and she uh, she put a post up saying, oh, my God, and Aaron Hernandez, I just got done watching it, and Aaron Hernandez, he was so good looking. Oh, yeah. Dot, dot, dot. What a waste. <laughs> and then all the comments underneath, you're exactly right, girl. He was so good looking. Blah, blah, blah. And, and there were tons of comments underneath from all these women saying the same thing. Yeah, you know what? I kind of thought the same thing. I have an unblemished record of heterosexuality, but I was like, man, he and his brother are both really good looking dudes. Uh, and part of the documentary uh, for the Aaron Hernandez story is that he was gay or at least bisexual and he started hooking up with guys when he was in like seventh or eighth grade and including the quarterback on his football team uh, in uh, in high school and so uh, but there's the scene in his second murder trial all right in his second murder trial he's already been convicted of murder and he's got Jose Baez who was same guy who represented Casey Anthony and they're standing beside each other in the second murder trial, and there's a woman who walks in who might be on the jury pool, and they hear her say, oh my God, he's so good looking. He's already been convicted of murder. Yeah. Already you know that he is a deadly assassin murderer, 
and he's on trial for double murder again of two completely innocent dudes in Boston who did nothing wrong. And one of the women who's going to be on the jury walks in and says, oh, my God, he's so good looking. This totally goes to your point about sexual harassment. What did the guy look like that was oh, yeah. bothering the girl for yeah. a date? That's the, the, the standard for sexual harassment in America is very often how attractive was the guy who was uh, the initial sexual harasser. If you are ugly, your standard for what you can say to a woman at work <laughs> is so much lower than if you're the best looking guy. Because, and I always say this too, like next time you go to a wedding, all right, next time you are at a wedding, close your eyes when everybody is doing the toast, right? When the bridesmaid gets up and does the toast, what is a staple of every bridesmaid's toast that is ever done? And also, to a certain extent, of the best man. How much the man refused to take no for an answer, right? Women, when they get married, love to talk about how hard the guy who ends up marrying them had to work in order to win them over and or the stupid thing that he did that almost derailed the relationship, but then he showed up and he refused to take no for an answer. He brought flowers to my house every day and knocked on the door for 28 straight days to apologize. He showed up outside playing with a boom box and he made me a mixtape and all this, like all this stuff. If you close your eyes, it could also be filed in a criminal report for a man who was stalking a woman. <laughs> the only difference between very often a criminal charge and a marriage is that in a marriage, the woman actually likes the man and she like is willing to accept his seduction tactics. It's the, fi- the fine line between, oh my God, this is such a beautiful story. They're going to get married and have kids and live happily ever after. And this guy can't come within 50 feet of this woman is so tiny when you actually just look at the fact patterns. George Clooney and Denzel Washington and Leonardo DiCaprio, they can get away with things that you and me can't. Jimmy G can walk up to a girl and say things that you and I probably could not say, and they'll be flattered. Yeah, didn't he call Aaron Andrews baby on the air and she like blushed or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if uh, but if that had been uh, Andy Reid, people would be like, "Oh my God, it was so inappropriate of Andy Reid to call Aaron Andrews baby during a television interview." That's true, right? And Andy Reid's yeah. just—I mean, a big walrus-looking dude. He's not like trying to necessarily be a bad guy. It's just like, "Oh my God, this is so inappropriate." Jimmy G does it, and every woman's heart melts. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, all right. Um, Dan Wetzel said he's listening to the show, by the way, and he just texted me and he said, you're right, there's an absolutely huge crossover appeal on this uh, Aaron Hernandez documentary. I'm not kidding. Like, I, 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 when I was on the elliptical and I looked to my left and my right and there are two different older women, like retirement age women, with their iPads uh, working out, you know, they were on uh, walking on a treadmill and on the elliptical beside me. And they're both watching the Aaron Hernandez documentary simultaneously while they're working out. I'm like, my God, this thing is going to have a viewership that's just off the charts. And so much of it is going to have to do with uh, with non, you know, really, when you break it down, non-sports fans who hadn't paid a lot of attention to the Aaron Hernandez documentary otherwise. And the fact that my wife knew about it. 
right? I mean, there's the tons of things going on out there. But last night when I put this documentary on and I sat down, my wife was like, oh, is that the Aaron Hernandez documentary? I've been wanting to watch it. I don't even know how she knew about it, but the, the word is out. Uh, in, uh, she watches a lot of you know, streaming shows. She watches a lot of television in general. But the word is out even for people who are not sports fans uh, about this. And Roberto, your wife, you said you liked it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she liked it. She likes watching the uh, ID Discovery channel and the true yeah. crime and all that. So, yeah. But, she- but that, so the Aaron Hernandez story appealed to her, not necessarily for the sports connection, but for the true crime perspective. It, exactly, yeah. And the background and everything else. I mean, his, his life. I mean, the conversations that he had with his mom. I mean, I thought one of the most, uh, and we'll talk, we'll spend a lot of time on this documentary. We'll get Wetzel on uh, later this week. But one of the things that I thought was most uh, most well done about this documentary was the juxtaposition, like the Aaron Hernandez day that they had at his mom's school oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. how all the kids are like chanting and talking about yeah. how much they, when he was playing in the Super Bowl and uh, and what a huge role model he was. And they even had him like on extra you know, like, oh, I'm a big, you know, I think it's important. The Hispanic, community, Hispanic yeah. community, yep. there's not a lot of us in the NFL, how important it is to carry myself. Like, that was the way that they they found those old clips and put them in. But I thought one of the most chilling parts of the entire documentary was that kids, uh, that school celebration with his mom and uh, and everybody else uh, and the way that, uh, that that shook out was, uh, man, it was tough. When we get into it later, too, I'd love to hear your take on when Robert Kraft showed up. Oh, yeah. I didn't even remember that Robert Kraft had testified. I, yeah, the, me neither. Trial. And that really stood out. And I love the way they covered that. They just showed Aaron Hernandez and how he was looking and his reaction to uh, Mr. Kraft coming into the courtroom. Yeah. How many times he looked to watch him and uh, and everything else. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty wild to see. I am blown away, by the way. I just went over to my mentions and hundreds of you have already weighed in saying you watched and the number of you saying you watched with your wives or your girlfriends that didn't otherwise uh, have much interest in the Aaron Hernandez story also confirms what we were just talking about, about how much this is moving outside the world of sports uh, and uh, going to have just a tremendous audience overall. Uh, so when we come back, I've been teasing him for a while. Uh, L.A. is waking up with us uh, on the West Coast. We'll talk this Dodgers resolution. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. 
The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 